Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And joining me, as always, is Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hello, Katie. Oh, hey, Keith. How's it going? Not too bad about yourself. All right. Did you have a nice uh, Labor Day weekend? Um, Very relaxing. Very relaxing. I know. I, I I took some time off, though I still did a lot I was of chart. Say, did you, but of course, you still worked all Sunday. Lots of chart, <laughs> lots of chart work over the weekend. And if you've been looking at Billboard dot com, you already know why. But we'll tell you all about <laughs> that in just a second. Because, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition. You can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider, including Spotify now. Hey, yeah. So you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Do you subscribe to any podcasts on Spotify? Do you listen to podcasts on Spotify? No, I hadn't. And then we put our Billboard podcast on there just a couple of weeks ago now. And it made me start looking through, poking through, and realizing that I listen to a lot. I listen to Spotify all the time. I just had never gone to them for podcasts. I listen to our podcast on Alexa, like through the Amazon. Alexa Alexa. just plays her for you. Well, all, all I have to do is just say, you know, in case in case you're listening to us right next to your Alexa, I've now made it go off five times. I just ask it to to play. I name the podcast, and and it says you know fetching the latest episode. And I listen, and then as soon as it's done with that first one, it just rolls into the next one that the oldest one, and it just keeps on going. Oh, that's magical. Yeah. So um, yeah, I right. listen on Podcast Addict. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, okay. So aside, and, and now we've talked about how to find us. And thank you. That was great, everyone. Um, <laughs> so the big the big news this week on the charts is that BTS's new album. Love Yourself Answer debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 chart as expected. Uh, It's the K-pop act's second number one following Love Yourself Tear. And the new album is actually the third in the Korean group's Love Yourself trilogy of albums, which began with the top 10 charting album Love Yourself Her. Now, as pop fans, you might be wondering why BTS has been the big breakout act of K-pop in America Despite the fact that you probably haven't heard them so much on the radio in the U.S. So you've probably seen them on TV, including on the Billboard Music Awards and on the American Music Awards. 
Yes, cue the ear piercing screams from the audience. I mean, Keith and I have been at these Billboard Music Awards when in the, BTS, flesh. the last two years BTS have been there. Their fans are like no other fans. Yeah, they showed up to, they were nominated for Top Social Artist mm-hmm. at the 2017 Correct. Billboard Music Awards. And Katie and I were doing the red carpet that year. Mm-hmm. We were interviewing people and... It was just there was a mob scene at the carpet waiting for them, waiting for just for them to show up. Holding well, I mean, up signs. The we whole have to get to the red carpet hours early, and they beat us there by many hours. And as it well. was like ninety-eight degrees yeah, outside. Oh yeah, Vegas, sweltering May, late May, Vegas. Yeah, Oof. so full-on fans were in effect. So, you know, all that said, we thought we'd ring up a Billboard contributor and a K-pop expert, Jeff Benjamin and chat all things K-pop and BTS with him. You may have seen Jeff on TV chatting with major news outlets about K-pop, and he's been writing for Billboard since 2011, and he's been on the K-pop beat for years. He literally knows it all. Uh, As mentioned in our chat, uh, I've been editing Jeff also for four years, and I have gotten an education from him about K-pop, so we figured we'd pass that education on to our listeners. Yeah, there are still things that, I mean, I I would like to think I know a little bit about K-pop acts, but I really, I mean, if I don't, and exactly. Katie doesn't, then I would imagine a fair number of the folks listening to this podcast may not know either, because it's just... We know that they, we know BTS exists, but we don't know much else about how, where they came from. Right. And um, this is the why they're popular. This is the how it happened, there, the when it happened. There is a phrase that Jeff uses in here that I did not understand. And he had to, like, I, we already recorded this conversation just, just a, a, like a little while ago. And I, I was like, wait, what, huh? How? <laughs> they do what? It is, it is so interesting. And uh, this, is just a, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yes. So enjoy our conversation with K-pop expert Jeff Benjamin. All right. Welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop podcast, Jeff Benjamin. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Of course. It's an exciting day. It is. Uh, you know, obviously, with the news, uh, the, the exciting thing that you speak of is, of course, the news that BTS's Love Yourself Answer has debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. And uh, we thought, yay, we thought there was no one better to speak with about the phenomenon that is BTS than you. Oh, thank you for thinking of me. <laughs> of course, I mean, I mean, as as we as we said before, we actually started interviewing you, and you know, to introduce you, you've been covering um, K-pop for years for Billboard. You've been writing for Billboard since 2011. Um, you've been covering like the BTS beat for a long time. So, I mean, by default, the first person that we think <laughs> of when it comes to K-pop and BTS at Billboard is generally Jeff. Generally, so that's why we thought let's get Jeff on the phone. Um, but just taking a step back for a second, uh, and let's talk a little bit about the K-pop genre itself, like when it really started and got a foothold in America. What what were some of the first acts that started to get some traction in the U.S., Jeff? I'm thinking maybe like Girls' Generation? 
Yeah, I mean, you you definitely have to go almost, it's been nearly a decade of this um, at this point. You know, we look back at sort of the the very first sort of K-pop artist from that world to chart, even on the Billboard 200. That was 2009. That was Boa, um, who, I, it, she hit number 127, uh, but that was an English uh, language album, actually. Boa, she was a huge solo sensation in Korea, in Japan, all over Asia. Um, but then it wasn't until 2012 that we saw Big Bang and Girls' Generation, um, uh, a splinter group actually of Girls' Generation, Girls' Generation TTS, uh, land the, the their actual K-pop music in Korean um, on the Billboard 200. And around the same time as Boa, Wonder Girls, another uh, really big girl group, sensational girl group in Korea, uh, was making their way over here. They had some amazing opportunities. They were managed by the same manager as the Jonas Brothers. Um, They had some TV appearances. And again, though, that was them taking their Korean music and putting it into English. Uh, They landed on the Hot 100, uh, I believe it was in 2009, with Nobody. Uh, a really huge song in Korea that was translated into English and charted here. But again, it, it kind of took a couple more years, uh, 2012 exact, actually, for um, Psy, of course, he's remembering Gangnam Style, to be able to make a dent, really, in the charts. Um, and, and those, of course, were, were the first chart hits, but artists were kind of making inroads, starting to tour, make more appearances here in America for a bit. But yeah, it, it too, when it comes to the actual charts, about about a decade. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I I thought Girls' Generation was the sort of the big first look, but I think when, as you just said all that, it makes me think actually maybe it was the Wonder Girls because wasn't there a girl group that was on like the Letterman show that got a performance slot on Letterman? Was that Wonder Girls? Oh, that was that was Girls' Generation. Oh, it was Girls' Generation. That's yeah. the, that's the reason why they, I remember them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was I think early 2012. They performed their um, that was their first English song. Actually, again, you can kind of see there was a bit of a trend, right, where they were kind of uh, trying to change their music maybe a bit to be more Western accessible, do it more in English um, to kind of maybe appeal to the Western audience because we didn't have a, a K-pop star, we didn't have any Asian pop star really. We still don't really have an, a representative Asian. Um, you know, pop star in that way just yet. BTS is certainly making a play for that. But um, but yeah, it was definitely Girls' Generation. They had a deal with Interscope at the time and, um, and, and were kind of making inroads in, in a big way, but the impact just wasn't exactly felt in the same way we're feeling it now. Uh, crazily, I don't think BTS even existed in 2011, did they? Like, didn't they form a couple no, years ago? No, they didn't. They debuted in 2013. June of 2013 is, is when BTS uh, was uh, made their official debut. They were probably still probably still training at the at the company at that point. Okay, so stop. What is okay? What does training at the company mean? Because that does not <laughs> that does not usually resonate with like. So our uh, friends got together, we decided to form a band. Like, what does training at the company mean? 
Yeah, and I mean, and it's definitely it's definitely something that's not foreign to America. You know, I think we remember, you know, especially back in the day, uh, days of Backstreet Boys and Sync, and prior to that, you know, there were companies that would kind of scout and look out for potential uh, young singers, young people to be able to be part of uh, future bands or future groups that they were envisioning. Um, so just like you know, maybe how the bands were formed back in the day. Here we don't we don't really have that. We have that to an extent here, but um, but in Korea there um, there are different agencies which kind of act as not only the record labels but also the management, the training, the um, the producers. They kind of do everything in house so that um, and they they have what they call them trainees. Um, stars that want to be singers but are, are not yet uh in a d- debut either as a solo singer or in a group and they train in these companies sometimes for as little as a couple months to as many as you know there have been k-pop trainees who have spent 10 years training um before their official debut um you better be amazing spend... after 10 years of training <laughs> good god if you don't know how to sing yet <laughs> they... then you have a problem i know right? and you know i think it's all it's timing too you know uh it's tough to to you want to have the right amount of groups out there. You don't want to overload your company. Uh, typically, it's it's tougher to have multiple girl groups at one time, so they tend to space out the girl groups when it comes to debuting. You know, BTS um, their their agency is called Big Hit Entertainment, and they only really have one boy band in BTS and, and one very very active group. They had they have some smaller groups that they manage. Um, they had a girl group that disbanded. But um, but yeah, they, they kind of, you basically sign with this company, you get trained in everything from not only singing and dancing, but um, how to go, how to act, how to speak different languages, how to go on, you know, radio shows, variety shows, whatever it might be, um, so that when it is time for your group to officially make their debut and release their debut album, that you are perfect. You They, they call them in K-pop um, idols, actually. Um, they're they're, they're k-pop artists but they're also known as k-pop idols and um and bts actually makes a reference to that in their new song but um the idea i think is that they're supposed to be you know ideal people you look up to they're perfect upon debut and they're only going to get um more perfect from there and wow. so when did <laughs> that's just when, crazy no pressure <laughs> on them at all um but when, when did bts really start to you know make an impact here in the u.s yeah i mean it's so interesting, right? Because I remember seeing BTS at um, at KCON. Uh, KCON is is the biggest K-pop festival. It started here um, in California uh, as a one day festival, uh, the Year of Psy, two thousand twelve, and it expanded to now be three days at the Staples Center, and it's now bi so It's two days in New York at the Prudential Center. Um, but I remember seeing BTS in, in, at KCON twenty fourteen, and they were the newest group on the bill. And, and I think I wrote this, you can even look up the history. You can look up the, the history that in my KCON 2014 recap, I said, BTS is the newest group on the bill, but you wouldn't have known that based on the screams. Like this, th- this group was really connecting in, in a, in a big way. Um, and then it was really in, in 2015 when they sort of uh, started, they, they were doing a lot of touring, a lot of overseas touring, a lot of, um, a lot of trying to, you know, because Korea took a while to take notice of them for a while, too. Um, but it was in 2015 that I really felt like not only did Korea take notice of them, but so did um, America. 
the Most Beautiful Moment in Life Part 2, their EP from late 2015, um, was their first entry on the Billboard 200. And things have only gotten bigger since then, um, obviously. But it, it kind of felt like 2015, they did two tours in 2015, and it felt like at the end of the year when the album charted on the Billboard 200 that that's when things really connected kind of worldwide for them. Why? Okay, so a simple question, or maybe not so simple. But why? Why BTS? Like, what? What is it about them that is enabling their success? You know, in America, and I guess also obviously abroad, because we seem to be sort of on the late freight in comparison to some other countries, but why is BTS the one group, the one K-pop act that seems to have this extraordinary amount of success in America? Yeah, and I've thought about it a lot, and I really do think, you know, from the get-go, BTS really made sure to put themselves into the music. Um, This can be anything from the fact that they do write and produce and, and work on the music themselves, like all the members have, have contributed in some kind of ways um, to music throughout the years, um, especially the rappers in the group there, they take a heavy hand in the music. Um, but also, you know, it, it's them wanting to talk about things that you really weren't seeing a lot of in the K-pop scene. Um, they certainly weren't the first group to kind of open up about their personal struggles or um, mental health difficulties or politics or commentary on society. Um, but they they did it in a way that felt really fresh and authentic. And I think they did that while also... Uh, being very, very forward-thinking in their music and, and the weight and the sounds and the trends that they were embracing. And so I think not only were they were they making music that was accessible, sounded good, had a bit more heart to it when fans were able to look up the lyrics or go, dive deeper into it, but also the group themselves were doing a really great job about just always communicating with the fans, always doing live streams, um, sharing tweets, um, talking about, you know... I, I had a tough day, but, you know, thanks to the fans who cheered me on at this show. Um, they've been really, really good and really, really honest and heartfelt in that way. So I think that, that just that genuine emotional um, human side of them has always stayed intact. And they never they never felt like the sort of untouchable idol. They felt more like a, a friendly idol, an idol you could be friends with. Um, is that... Is the way that they're approaching their interaction with fans and the kind of subject matter that they sing about in their songs, is that, like, strikingly different from other K-pop acts? Is that, it, it, like, or are you, I mean, is that, like, the the one particular thing that they're doing that is really different from a lot of the other acts in K-pop in general? I think they just really made it a point in their music, you know, from it was one of my largest frustrations as someone who, who has been watching this K-pop scene for, oh my gosh, what, over a half decade now? And, um, and you know, seeing even how the billboard charts and, and you know, all these things were advancing. And K-pop, you know, they, they, K-pop artists were not, they weren't creating social media accounts or all the accounts were associated with their record label. Um, you know, that there was, I think there was a large fear of, uh, of, of like, you know, a crack, you know, in the mirror or, or, or letting 
people, you know, I've had nowadays, it, it almost seems a bit silly because K-pop is very savvy, very, very social media friendly. But for, I think for the longest time, they were a bit scared of what social media could do or how it could open up, um, open their artists up to criticism or difficulties. And don't get me wrong, it certainly has. There's definitely been controversies and, you know, scandals and things, scandals, I should say, that seem a bit silly to us, but are, are a big, bigger deal in the K-pop scene. But BTS from the get-go were really, really great about keeping themselves intact from, from the beginning, talking about having stories to tell. Um, but their stories themselves also matured. You know, they, they were kind of talking about bullying and, and school experiences in their early music, something that young people their age were definitely going through. And then as they got older, they were talking about heartbreak or politics or things that, um, you know, things that you think about as society, things that you think about when you do get older. So I think it was just making a point to make the journey and, and make that as part of the um make that be part of part of the narrative rather than just being like a side thought that was always at the forefront and you know talking about their appeal in america do they record much music in english or have their breakthrough albums and songs been primarily uh korean language so far no that's actually been the really interesting part is that you know and, and is that bts as a group at least has never has never recorded a full english song um k-pop at, at its core if you're a new listener and you haven't checked it out you know there's definitely a lot of accessible moments for for english speakers um you know that lots of the song almost nearly all the song titles are in english um there's a lot of phrases in english but bts is actually they've actually spoken about this and, and their label CEO has spoken about this that um, they actually have no no interest in recording in English in fact they've said we think you know an Asian artist recording music in English is just an Asian artist trying to debut in America that's not K-pop we're K-pop we, we want to do what K-pop artists do best um, there is one member his name is RM he's the leader of the group he speaks fluent English he's actually laid down verses for for a fallout boy song um for a wale song and um that's been in english but other than that you, you, you bts has just stayed consistently korean or, or or japanese for their japanese releases but um but yeah i i think that's almost kind of an amazing part of the story too is that they've never strayed from the korean even that's crazy i mean <laughs> that's I mean that's admirable, but it's it's inter- it, like it sort of bucks what I mean the trend I mean in the tra- and I guess it's not comparable, but like you know the easiest comparison is Latin music. Latin music, you know, Ricky Martin wasn't Ricky Martin until he made his first English album in America, which had "Live in La Vida Loca" on it. He was he was an entity before that, and he was a big Latin superstar. But he and you know Mark Anthony and any number of other Latin stars did not become you know, sort of global, well, America stars, because they were big outside of America until they recorded English language albums. But now I think we're seeing it sort of the other way around. We have actually artists who are breaking through that speak Spanish that don't, that are having hits on the radio. Yeah, I mean, look at Cardi B. I like it like that. And it's, you know, J Balvin and and Bad Bunny fully Latin. Yeah, fully Spanish. Yep. And you know what I've been, I've actually, I've thought about this a lot. You guys are like tickling my, my, K-pop intellectual bone. funny bone okay. <laughs> yeah. um but you know it, it bts what i think the issue was um and and the reason that i think actually we saw 
someone like Wonder Girls, who, yes, they, they did, they landed their first chart hit with an English version of, of Nobody. They're, Wonder Girls were always a retro-themed group. They had a concept, they had a style through and through, and Nobody it was like the embodiment of that. Their next English song seemingly did away with everything that they originally stood for. They had this electro, auto-tune, pop sound. Akon was on the track. It didn't feel like Wonder Girls anymore. The same thing happened with Girls' Generation, where they kind of were almost like they they embodied a more sexy style with um with their first English release. I think the the narratives got lost, and what made people fall in love with these artists um, got a bit lost. And it changed a bit when they were kind of thinking about the Western market, um, which is to say, you know, when, when Ricky Martin was, you know, when he, you know, live in La Vida Loca was the live in La Vida Loca uh, or, or Cup of Life, whatever it was. Um, two different were, songs, two different were, songs. <laughs> well, or those songs still kept those same. I think we still saw Ricky Martin as... Um, as Ricky Martin, whether it was in English or Spanish. I yeah. mean, I don't think his image changed too much, but what I think people fell in love with K-pop, it, it changed a bit when it was coming to America. And I think it actually made fans, uh, uh, international fans, kind of a bit wary of where K-pop could go in America. It made a lot of fans think, oh no, we, we don't, if this is what our K-pop artists are going to you know, turn into, then, then we don't, we don't want American crossover. Hmm. And I, I, after that sort of 2012 era with sign girls, generation and wonder girls, it was, it was a bit quieter. There were still, things were growing, but, um, but yeah, we weren't seeing as visible of attempts, um, for a couple more years. <laughs> Well, last question, Jeff, you know, with BTS doing yes. so well on the charts, <laughs> you're like, yes, last question. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I hope I haven't bored you guys no. with this K-pop lesson. No. no, we needed this. We'll find out from people tweeting at us if you bored us. <laughs> um, you know, with BTS doing so well on the charts, you know, everyone might be wondering if this is, you know, an isolated success, you know, with with in the K-pop genre in America, or if there are other K-pop acts that you know, could actually follow in their footsteps. I mean, I'm sure everyone asks like, oh, who got next, basically? But what are some other acts that could actually try to, uh, you know, approach the success of BTS in America? Sure, yeah. And, um, and you know, I think... I think even the first thing to keep in mind is that, you know, of course we remember, you know, we've talked a bit about this, 2012, Psy, Gundam Style, that was a big breakout moment. Um, and, and it seemed like, yeah, that there wasn't something so visible, but, you know, I, I've been, I've been lovingly watching the scene and writing about it and reporting on it. And the numbers don't lie. I mean, uh, album sales have been growing like year after year, charts positions have been growing year after year um tour numbers have been growing something like kcon the festival has only been growing exponentially with its attendance um the scene is growing in a healthy way so that even if we don't have another bts on that level like i still see it as as something that is going to be part of the conversation um, but I, I, I really think that um, you can't ignore what Blackpink is doing. Um, they're a girl group, four members, um, under the same label, actually, as Psy, or rather Psy's former label. Um, they just had, just this year, uh, a top 40 
album with their Square Up EP. Um, they actually just finally broke the record. It was a, oh my gosh, it was like a four-year record held by uh, a, another four-member girl group, 21, um, for highest-charting um, K-pop girl group album in America. And Blackpink not only got a top 40 album, but they also uh, landed on the Hot 100 with their lead single off that. They they have a lot of personality, a lot of spunk. Um, three members who even speak English, which is actually quite rare um, in a K-pop group. And I just think there's a lot of interest and excitement around them. Um, so I'm particularly um, gung-ho about them. Um, Besides, we need more girl groups anyways, frankly. So Yeah, we do. And I mean, you know, it, it all happens in waves. You know, it's like, um, you know, it, when did One, One Direction kind of broke out around 2012, 2013, um, you know, we're five years later, um, and, and now we're kind of having our next boy band round with BTS and, you know, XO and all these pretty much and why don't we and all those things, um, you know, so it's only, and I think the girl groups, you know, are, are kind of, they're going to come back, you know, soon enough. Um, but if you actually look at like a couple more artists, you know, straight, there's a boy band called Stray Kids who I'm pretty excited about. They kind of have a very similar um, style in the sense that they they um, they write their own music, they um, compose and write their own stuff as well. Same with G Idol, uh, G Idol, their girl group um, who writes their own stuff. We actually just did the very first their very first U.S. interview um, when they came to America. I wrote that um, just last week. Katie, you probably edited. Yes, it, I did. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was last week. Um, yeah, I really am excited about them. They did some really great numbers right off the bat, and I'm very uh, except they they have a one member. She's only a teenager, I think, but she she writes and produces for the group. It's really been amazing. Um, oh man, I mean, like Luna has this really big international uh, a Twitter following. If you've been on Twitter, you probably saw someone telling you to stand Luna. Mm-hmm. Um, NCT is, is a really big boy band. I, I don't know. I, I could... Um, you could name so them all, exciting... Jeff, which is no. what you're doing now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, going to my, I'm going to my go-to list in my head. But um, but yeah, I just... And, you know, again, it, it really could be anyone's game. I don't think anyone thought Psy was going to break out. I don't think anyone thought BTS was going to break out. BTS is actually from quite a small record label in comparison to the other labels in Korea. So they... You know, it could, it really is. I always feel like it's anyone's game. You know, it's, uh, I think as long as that heart, the music is that, you know, and I'll be watching diligently to kind of see, see what's happening. But I'd say those are some of the artists that, um, I highly suggest, uh, keeping your eye on. Well, I feel like we just gave the Pop Shop listeners a masterclass in K pop. (laughs) And I mean, I get it every day from editing Jeff's pieces and our other K pop writer Tamar's articles every day. Um, So now we've given the people um, of of the podcast listening audience their K pop lesson. And we really appreciate you, uh, you chatting with us today, Jeff. Oh, I appreciate you guys keeping the K pop alive on. On the podcast. Of so course, thank you. of course. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks 
again to Jeff for taking the time to walk us through all things BTS and K-pop. Um, you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore underscore Benjamin. That's two underscores. There's only one for Keith underscore Caulfield. There are two for Jeff underscore underscore Benjamin. I wonder if there's just like a Jeff underscore Benjamin Ooh, running around that is just getting to... lots of like tweets about K-pop <laughs> from lots of fans. Like, I hope he's a K-pop fan. Um, wow. Well, uh, that's, that's a lot of that's a whole lot of K-pop going on. Now and now you know who to go look for. Was it Blackpink, um, NCT, uh, NCT, uh, which all and they they keep charting too. There's like five of them. <laughs> no, there's like a million offshoots of NCT. There was also an act that he mentioned in there that I think I've been saying their name wrong Uh-oh. this entire time. He said it was Twenty One, but I thought their name was Too Any One. Oh, it, so <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. I guess I should have asked Jeff for clarification. I on think that. you're right. Is that right? Wow, I think you're right. Because it's like two. It's like the so it's two like the t- oh no, man. But he said it was twenty one. Our apologies also to the people listening to this podcast who are K-pop oh god, fans we must be so embarrassing because, right now. Because yes, we work at Billboard, but we are always learning from our you know expert people. I, just like I am always learning about charts from Keith. Uh, we will continue to learn from our genre experts uh, and try to get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah. I, all we can tell you is that we are going to try our best and and get well more versed. Yes, in this further versed, further versed. Yes. Well, now it's time for a rather un-K-pop chart stat <laughs> of the week. So this week in 1981, Stevie Nicks hit number one on the Billboard 200 chart with her debut solo album, Bella Donna. Uh, The album rose to the top of the list, dated September 5th, 1981, and spent just one week atop the tally. But one week is all it takes. Mm -hmm. Bella Donna came after three hugely successful studio albums Nicks recorded with the band Fleetwood Mac. You may have heard of them. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The group's self-titled number one set, the phenomenon that was the album Rumors in 1977, which spent, oh, just 31 weeks at number one, and then Tusk, and it peaked at number four. Uh, Fun fact, not in our notes. Tusk features a song, the title track, Tusk, which has uh, a uh, guest appearance by the USC Trojan Marching Band. You know I knew this already because... Because I went to USC, and I tell no, you about this well, every so often. Yeah, it could have had something to do with yeah. that. But a marching band, I don't think it was the USC marching band, though, but a marching band came out at the Classic West Festival when Fleetwood Mac played. Maybe it, it was USC. It, it may have been USC. Yeah, it would they, have been appropriate, they, obviously. They tend, they tend to drag the USC marching band over to uh, play Tusk. And I'm sorry, would you need to be dragged? No, you don't. <laughs> and, every, and whenever you go to a um, sports game, or at least like, you know, USC football game, uh, the band plays Tusk, but, oh. but we don't say Tusk. We say something else instead, in place of Tusk. What do you say? Like U C L A sucks. Dun, 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 dun. Ah, Just is. what the crowd does. <laughs> That's not like an official lyric, right? <laughs> UCLA is our direct rival. Anyway, yes. <laughs> so still, after all that success with Fleetwood Mac in the late seventies, uh, Stevie Nicks struck out on her own making a splash straight out of the gate with the smash single Stop Dragging My Heart Around, a duet with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. That was the lead single from this album. The track spent six weeks stuck at number three on the Hot 100. Couldn't go any higher, gosh darn it. Mm. The album would actually generate three more top 40 charting hits, including one of Nix's most familiar tunes, 
Edge of Seventeen, just like the White Winged Dove. Sings the song. Sounds like she's singing. <laughs> I believe that's how it goes. <laughs> that ooh, sounds right. Baby, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. Said ooh. <laughs> ooh. Uh, it reached number 11. Stupid. Again, it stuck at number 11. Oh, man. Almost top 10, gosh darn it. Top 10 has such a good ring to it, and top 11 just doesn't quite do it. And you can't so call a number 11 a top 20. That just doesn't give it enough credit. That makes it sound like it didn't, like, it's like, oh, so it went to number 19? No, well, it was no, number 11. exactly. Well, anyways, since Belladonna, Stevie Nicks has charted five more top 10 charting efforts on the Billboard 200, including her most recent solo album, the 2014 release 24 Karat Gold, Songs from the Vault. For which Keith talked to Stevie for the Pop Shop podcast. That's right, friend of the podcast, Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Katie and I actually saw Stevie in on that tour that she was she did in support of that album. At the Forum. At the Forum. Yep. Great there show. Was a, there was a cake with her face on it in the Forum Club. That's right. <laughs> we didn't eat any of the cake no, with Stevie's face on it. I didn't see anyone do that. I actually did sort of random. I, I asked someone, because I, I guess they do a cake at the forum for every act that plays there. They do, yes. And I asked a publicist, I think it was for when Harry Styles Mm. played there, and Harry Styles had the cake. I saw that cake, yes. I'm like, did anyone actually, do you ever, does anyone eat this? And they said, after the show, they actually do, like, once, like, the, you're not in there anymore. Yeah. So, but I don't... No one wants to be the first one to cut into Harry Styles' face? (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) Or Stevie's face. Right. Well, anyway, um, Nyx is currently prepping to go out on tour with Fleetwood Mac as their new trek starts on October 3rd in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So Oklahoma fans, get ready. Here comes Fleetwood Mac. She will also be seen in the upcoming season of American Horror Story Apocalypse as herself. The series premieres mm-hmm. on September 12th. I don't know if she's in the whole series. I think she's probably she probably has like a small... There's some fantastic photos online already of her with oh, the really? other uh, stars uh, of the series. I wonder if she, because she was in American Horror Story Coven. Right. As sort of like, sort of like the head, well, she was, Steve, she played Stevie Nicks in that too, but mm-hmm. as sort of a witchy version of A Stevie witchy Nicks. woman. A witchy woman. See so how speak. high she flies. So I wonder if she's coming back as the same character. And I have to say, I don't follow back. the show, so do I don't I. know the answer to that question, Feel free to tweet us and tell us. Yeah. Well, anyways, there you have it. This week in 1981, Stevie Nicks topped the Billboard 200 with her debut album, Belladonna. Um, we've reached the end of our K-pop, K-pop-tastic. The K-pop shop. The K-pop shop. Mm. Oh, there's going to be like a spin-off podcast called The K-pop Shop. Call, dialing Jeff Benjamin. Seriously. <laughs> it's like we joke, but then cut, cut to Billboard.com in two weeks. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The K-pop Shop. K-pop. Billboard K-pop Shop. Um, any parting words, Katie? Oh, man. Um, I've learned a lot today. Yes. That's my parting we, words. We should all, we, <laughs> if only we could, only if only we were enrolled in a training camp, mm. a training mm-hmm. uh, facility. We could learn. We could get um, media training. Maybe we still need media training. I we think, could get uh, I choreography. Could, I could do with some of that. <laughs> Either one of those. I don't know if it will take me 10 years to pull it Voice off. Voice lessons. Uh, you can actually sing, though. I can't. Mm. The people have heard me sing a few times on here. I don't think that they would agree with you, but I appreciate that. Well, we can um, par- yeah, well, anyways, we can, we can fall down that rabbit hole. Back to the edge of 17. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what, so we've already heard um, uh, Edge of 17 and uh, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. So. But we probably need another Stevie song, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, we don't have to. It could be a K-pop well, song. Well, if it's cool that it's Fleetwood Mac, yeah, let's sure. just go on the classic Dreams. Perfect. And she sings it. Yes. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye. 
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.